Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Huntworth. Huntworth bringing you quality hunting clothing and packs at a price you deserve. Check them out at HuntworthGear.com. They actually just sent me the information, sending off their package to the patreon winner for this first quarter giveaway uh some of our favorite stuff the durham pants and the shelton hoodie and uh one of their hats that uh is like john and i's favorite every time we get a package from them like you need to make all your hats fit like that um but this podcast right now is actually one of our patreons and oddly enough as soon as we did this pay uh this podcast i drew for the winners and and tom won uh, the arrows and he's already got those out in Montana. So pretty slick. This guy is, uh, he was on the podcast before talking about, uh, raising his kids, um, and, uh, getting away from social media and that sort of stuff. And it's kind of come full circle. Um, he's trying to do some stuff, started a podcast. He is, uh, running, uh, llama trips llama rentals uh out in montana doing everything he can uh to live the dream out there and that's kind of what we talk about on this podcast um 
super inspiring. Any anytime you see somebody, you know, really chasing their dreams, and this day and age, we find a way to not do things. Um, you know, we instead of saying like, "How can I do this?" We say, "I can't because." So, um, really inspiring podcast. I think you guys are really gonna love it. Tom's a great guy. Anyone who's met him in person um, knows that uh, he's he he walks the walk and and uh he does everything that he says and uh you'll get it right off the bat uh he's a man's man but uh, anyways uh some housekeeping stuff um some kind of interesting stuff with the podcast um i'm you hear us talk about our bowman's club i'm on the board for our bowman's club here in muskegon so it's the muskegon bowman um and they've got a couple events coming up First of all, uh, June 3rd, there is a 3D shoot and a swap meet for any kind of hunting gear. Um, They're going to have lunch um, for uh, $10 unlimited shooting um, on the 3D course. There's going to be novelty shoots. If you're a member of the Bowman's Club, um, it'll be $8. Um, But what we talked about at the the last meeting was if you're a member and you bring a non-member, the non-member shoots for half price so you guys will split it it'll basically be the non-member shoots free and then you pay um, yours or you guys can split it however you want to do it but we're just trying to get some more people like through the doors of the club and get kind of more awareness out about um, what we have here it's really awesome we have a a full field course we've got uh, a range out to in addition to the field course we have a range that goes out to like 80 or 90 uh, and depending on where you're standing, how you're shooting it, um, you know, you can get almost out to a hundred, um, nine lanes inside, uh, where you can shoot, uh, about to 35, uh, bow press, draw board, arrow saw, um, all of that stuff right there in the club, all that facilities, um, right here in Muskegon. Um, so check that out. It's uh, Muskegon Bowman muskegonbowman.com um, you can check it out there and then uh, that Monday right after that um, they're starting the outdoor leagues but the one thing is that's interesting is probably one of the last ones from what I'm told there's outdoor broadhead leagues um, so you, you shoot broadheads uh, different ranges um, a lot of trad guys but you can shoot your compound uh, and they shoot through cardboard um, so you bring lipstick and you um, put a, put a color on your, on your broad head. Um, and that's how you mark your shots. And uh, I'm going to try and get out there and do some of that this year, but, um, it's sounds like it's a lot different than just shooting regular 3d. So something cool, um, it's $5 a night to go out there and do that, or it's $45 for the league fee. Um, you know, if you, if you could make it for every, every week, but, uh, it sounds like something fun to do throughout the summer. Um, especially if you're in the area, but, uh, anyways, that's just some of the stuff that we've got coming up. We're going to be doing some more social media stuff and doing some more stuff to help promote our club. But that's just, uh, one of the like sidebars that, that we've got going on here in our area. Um, you know, we got to give a shout out to all of our uh, sponsors, if you if you're hearing this, uh, I didn't mess up the intro this week, and um, I, I said, well, there's a bunch of people, um, you know, if they go back in and listen to this, hear the intro, uh, message me, and I'll put them in a giveaway to give away one of our new hats. We got some uh, Huntworth Tarnan hats with our logo on them, and 
those uh, that winner is Jason Nichols. So I'll get that out to you. He messaged me on Instagram and and said that he listened to the new uh, intro. So congrats to Jason. And um, we got a bunch of cool stuff coming up uh, with the podcast. I don't want to like give it all away. Uh, but there's, you know, obviously this year we're doing our Patreon hunt. We're going to be doing uh, our cookout up at TAC. So definitely uh, come up there, check us out. You don't got to be a Patreon. You just got to want to have fun and, uh, you know, talk archery, talk hunting um, up to the Total Archery Challenge here in Michigan. Uh, going to be a super good time. Uh, Greg Litziger is coming in town uh, again to shoot with us. So uh, really excited to have Greg back. Um, we're doing our Patreon hunt. We're working on with Tom now, uh, Bowhunter Chronicles West to do some, uh, I think a spring bear hunt for next year. Um, and we're going to kind of parse out those details. Lots of stuff coming in for the Patreons. And I can't wait to, to kind of share with you some of the fun stuff that I've got coming up. But, um, aside from that, um, you know, we couldn't do this show without the Patreons. We do everything that we can to give back with our sponsors, with um, anything that we do. We try and incorporate the Patreons as best we can. So we got to give uh, a huge kudos to, you know, the companies Huntworth, Latitude, Lucky Buck, Vitalize Seed, um, Zinger Fletchings, and Kanadi Arrows. Those arrows, um, I built them up and uh, been shooting them, and they shoot tremendous. Getting ready to rebuild my bow. Um, before I head over to the Vortex event next weekend uh, over at the Vortex headquarters with HHA. Going to be a great time, um, but those arrows are something else. Definitely check them out, Kanadi Arrows uh, and the guys at Zinger. Big Shot Target's giving us a code, uh, BCP, to save 10%. And they have, um, for you guys that are local, you know, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Maybe some of the Ohio guys can make it over there, but they've they, watch on their Instagram. They've got uh, some like open box, like damage target sales, like so targets that are missing an ear that uh, you know something didn't go right with a the foot. They're like clearancing out those, uh, but it's in person, first come, first serve. Um, so check that out. They've got a sale going on um, in person there over these next couple weekends. And as always, you know, Spartan Forge. I've been, we're, we are going to, um, I got, uh, a couple guys next week's podcast coming on and we're going to, um, do a little bit more filming, do some, uh, vlogging and we're going to break down some new pieces of property. We're going to go in, uh, to property that we've never hunted, um, and kind of document how we're going through there and kind of what the season looks like for us on those properties and uh using spartan forge i mean i pulled it up and again i i I told my buddy uh eric who's going to be hunting with me over there look at it and look at all the terrain changes and when you take that spartan forge um and you increase those 3d layers um it's just an entirely different uh ball game so Check them out, SpartanForge.ai. You can use code Bowhunter to save 25%, and that's probably the cheapest that you're going to find it. And their UAV layers, I mean, there is the AI piece that, I mean, it just gets glossed over because their maps are so good. Um, But all that stuff, you know, those guys give back to the patrons. We give away uh, something from each and every one of those every quarter. Um, And you can check that out at patreon.com forward slash Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. Be part of the um, Marco Polo group. You can be part of you know, our Patreon hunt that we're doing, um, all that stuff. And it really helps us out, but we're building a community 
and that's what we're really trying to do with that. So um, thank you guys for listening. Thanks for everything. Um, this podcast should certainly inspire you. Enjoy the episode. All right, everybody. Adam back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. And uh, yeah, John just peeked his head up like, hey, hey, I'm here. Um, <laughs> but I'm just so used to saying, oh, yeah, it's just me. Just me. John's doing this. John's doing that. He uh, was building his house today, got some rain, and he decided he'd grace us with our presence for with his presence for his good friend, Tom Taylor. And I know I've told Tom this. I know the guys in the in the Patreon, the Marco Polo group have heard it before. Um well, first of all, Tom's a really big uh, part of that Marco Polo group um, as far as like the information um, and insight. And that's kind of why we've got him on here today. But when I was going to Ohio with my buddy Eric, he was up at the uh, the the Patreon camp and we were kind of just reliving that that camp and that experience. And we were talking about, you know, the guys that were there and, you know, had you met this guy or this guy. And he just looked at me and he said, Tom Taylor is a man. And I was like, I was like, yeah, yeah. He, uh, he looks like he rolled out of a log cabin, sleeping on the floor, you know, flannel and work boots, running around with the longbow, helping everybody out. And, uh, I mean, what would you say to that, John? Like if you were to describe Tom Taylor. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely a man. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> But, Especially now that he's out in Montana, like he went from Michigan to Montana, man. Yeah, and and that's yeah. kind of like what I wanted to wanted to talk about is is kind of like your whole journey out to uh, kind of where you're at now. Um, but uh, how's the weather out there in Montana today? Uh, today it's the sun's just starting to peak out, but it was negative three last night and blowing sideways snow, so. I think it's going to be seven degrees tonight and we got probably a few more days of snow and then it's supposed to, I think, I think it's going to break. So early, early from what I hear, that's early April in Montana. So they usually get a last good snowstorm, but, uh, the East side of the state has got a lot of snow. They got hammered pretty good over there. I know the mule deer, the mule deer and the antelope are struggling over there pretty hard and, some spots over here on the west side too, but yeah, it's been uh, it's been a long cold one and a pretty brutal one. That the temper temperatures dipped pretty good a couple times this year, so it's been an experience. It'll it'll you talk you guys talk about being a man. This place will let you know pretty quick if you're okay with the cold weather or not, because <laughs> it'll whoop it right out of you pretty quick. So let's get into like so I know you were on here before and we talked about like um, you know all the social media, all of uh, that sort of thing as far as like the industry. And I can't remember, and, you know, maybe we've picked up a, some new listeners since then, but like if we talked about like your upbringing and as far like what made you uh, to be this man uh, that you are and like the – The manly the, man. The manly man, the Paul Bunyan of uh, right. now the elk woods, right? <laughs> but like your upbringing with, uh, with hunting and everything. Yeah. So I was just, I, at a very early age, I was kind of thrown into it. Um, and, and kind of a really cool way. My dad was, was building, um, longbows, selfbows and pretty much my, my whole younger childhood 
Um, and he was really heavily involved in the traditional archery side of things. So that really, uh, it introduced me to a lot of cool people and a lot of cool stuff. And, uh, it kind of fostered that addiction I had for hunting and the outdoors. Um, sorry if you guys hear my dog crying, I got him locked in the bedroom there, but yeah, I had a great childhood. My mom used to come up to our big rabbit camps and, she used to uh, cook for all of the guys, and we used to set up big wall tent camps for rabbit camp, and and uh, we we had a a permanent rabbit camp up by Stanton, Michigan, that we went to all the guy all the time. That a guy pretty much spent 365 days a year managing that property for whitetails and cottontails. So that was that was the main thing. When snow hit the ground, uh, it was cottontail season. Deer season was over, whether it was or not. So. It was a good upbringing. It was a lot of fun, a lot of adventures. Um, exposed me to a lot of different stuff. Exposed me to a lot of just serious killers. Um, yeah, these guys were, you know, no fuss, get it done. And I think that's probably um, between that, you know, growing up around guys four times my age and that were, uh, just absolute men, like you say, and, uh, then getting into the electrical trade industry pretty early. Um, that kind of forces you to <laughs> have a spine pretty quick. So <laughs> spit out pretty quick. Now, when you guys were hunting rabbits, were you guys sh- shooting those with the longbows also? Or were you just yeah, all long, all longbows? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. The only time, the only time, yeah, everybody did. Um, the only time somebody, the only time I hunted rabbits with a gun was me and my buddies would hunt them with a shotgun sometimes. And the 22s a lot, the 22s were a lot of fun. So we'd run them with the dogs and shoot at them with the 22s just for fun. Cause eating rabbits is nice. Uh, shooting rabbits is nice, but shooting at them is the most fun. Cleaning them is the least fun. The whole thing, so. Especially with a bunch <laughs> of pellets in them. Yeah. So like, you know, I guess John and I are are a little bit different, but it's like the same era, same equipment, same same stuff, right? Like so, when we were kids, it was you know loggy bayou or like Baker climbers. It was aluminum arrows. It was all that stuff. So with your dad, I feel like you're you were raised hunting in a different time. I missed out on all that. Like it, you were like yeah, I'm raised in the missed, 1800s. Yeah, guys will talk to me about like oh the old. Um, browning compound and the old um this and that when these new cams came out and i'm like i you know i've been hunting longer than them and i have no clue what they're talking about because it's just always been it's always been a traditional thing for me up i I never even shot a compound till i was an adult well into my 30s so and yeah i just i skipped all that (laughs) none of the guys i hung around with shot compounds it just i didn't know a darn thing about any of that world and you, uh, if uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but and kind of elaborate on it, but didn't wasn't it part of your deer season like a teepee down the river type yeah, scenario? We, we mm-hmm, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You say it like that sounds weird. <laughs> teepee <laughs> down the river. <laughs> that was our second home. Um, no, <laughs> my dad. So 
my parents were really big into uh reenactments like pre-19 or pre-1840 reenactments i guess fur trade era is what it was um french fur traders and uh so yeah i mean i spent a lot of my childhood running around buckskins my dad built a teepee bought the canvas built the poles and of course my dad couldn't ever do anything halfway it was always over the top you know so he uh instead of just having poles that were tall enough to hold the teepee up he had to have them sticking up out of the air 10 12 foot past the teepee just just for show and then he'd hang you know hides on them or whatever and that's what we would take you know before that we were usually using like the army green big wall tents and then he had another nice canvas wall tent i think and then uh or it was a wedge tent is what it was because the wedge tent was period correct for for that time frame um and then he got a teepee and uh yeah that thing went with us a handful of times <laughs> down the river and usually every year we'd take a float trip you know with with our buddies and we would try to kill deer from the canoe and we shot a couple that, that way but it wasn't super successful a lot of action right in the middle of the rut um but floating that 30 foot those 30 foot poles in and all that canvas in that canoe and my dad's 300 plus pound guy six six i'm six three and i was 230 when i graduated high school so it was a lot of weight in that 18 foot grumman so <laughs> we were barely <laughs> i would barely be able to paddle out over the poles he built this rack on the canoe that hold all the poles on each side and i could just i was just teaspooning it out there i couldn't even really pull any water so he, he'd i'd try to paddle a handful of times and he'd get sick of watching me mess stuff up and he'd say just hang on to your bow and wait for deer i'll paddle you know <laughs> <laughs> i can't imagine like the looks that people would give you or whatever come down the river because oh. i think about like our river system where there's boats and trappers and freaking you know guys there's, there's more boats out during like hunting season than you can imagine and it's a lot of guys running trap lines and stuff like that but i mean if you come around the bed and there's a fucking teepee 30 foot teepee and a fire going in i mean <laughs> guys and guys and bucks getting like did i just go through a portal well, or something <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> we did have a couple situations like that but you got to remember back then guys weren't canoeing into places like that in archery season. That was not a common thing. So you didn't hardly see anybody there unless you saw a duck hunter or something. Um, but we did. So one of our, one of my dad's buddies, um, Rod, he, he would, he had a tendency to wear his buckskins and, you know, his period correct clothing, you know, <clears throat> When he was, uh, so it was fur trader area. It was usually like guys were wearing buckskin pants that they had traded with Indians. And, and then they had like the cotton, uh, button up shirts. And, you know, sometimes <laughs> they'd have like fur hats and stuff like that. Well, here comes Rod in his own canoe down. And I think, I can't remember if I was by myself or if I was with my dad, but I, I, we were going to meet him and it was dark. He was coming in super late that night. We had already went in and set up camp. And Rod, just being Rod, thought it'd be funny to wear his buckskins and his fur hat on the way in. We had passed a guy coming out, and uh, it's dark, and you can't see who is in the canoe, you know. So they're they're passing each other, and the river's not super wide right there, and they're passing each other pretty close. Um, 
pretty close together. And Rod just looks over at him. The guy gets a little closer and he, he finally notices like, what is this guy wearing? You know, <laughs> Rod says, bonjour. <laughs> the guy just didn't say anything. He just looked back straight and kept paddling because <laughs> Rod said he scared the crap out of him. You know, he's like, what did I just run into? <laughs> so. Have you ever been overwhelmed by the hundreds of food plot seed mixes out there? Well, you are not alone. And Vitalize Seed has developed a seed program that takes the guesswork out of food plotting. Vitalize Seed has two core mixes, the Nitro Boost and Carbon Load, to keep it simple. Nitro Boost is their spring-summer food plot mix, and Carbon Load is the fall plot mix, each having a diverse mix of over a dozen different seed types that are highly attractive to whitetail. Food plotting made simple, but it gets even better. Each mix provides necessary nutrients to the soil, making for better plots each season and saving you money by needing less Roundup and less fertilizer each season. The 1-2 system simplifies your food plots just how nature intended. Vitalize Seed. Make biology work for you. Order now at VitalizeSeed.com. Oh my gosh. Getting the hell out of there quick. Like, what the hell? (laughs) Yeah, who in the hell is living back here? What is going on? And I remember one of the stories you told me too was like you were in some parade and you didn't get to walk with the football team. Like I think Tom told me he's like, "Yeah, girls did not like me in school." <laughs> no, it wasn't the move. It wasn't the move. That was not the move. If you wanted to get girls, that was not the move. But the every year there was the Frontier Days parade there in town. Um, that's what it was called. It was it was you know the 4-H fair was going at the county fair and. And uh, they had a parade and it was always, it was the typical parade, you know, people that had the horses down there the buggies and the, um, you know, the, the rodeo team and the blah, 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 the football team, the local football team walked in. Well, I played football that year and my family was, it, it was the same time the reenactment was going on downtown. Um, so my family had the whole reenactment set up and my dad, of course, my dad being my dad can't just he's got to overdo everything. He made a, a hat out of a full size, like five foot black bear. So I'm in eighth grade. And instead of walking with my football team, I'm walking with my, the whole encampment crew. And I've got this five foot long black bear. It's the black bear head, you know, and then it it's the whole hide that goes down to your calves, you know, and here I am walking in the parade like that. And I remember just, I just had my head down because I was like, if I just keep my head down, nobody will see who I am, who I am you know. That didn't work. Everybody knew who I was. There's Tom the Bear. Yeah. Yeah. Next, next week at school, I was like, what was going on with that? And I'm like, I just don't feel like explaining it. You know, it's like, what, you guys don't do that? <laughs> you guys don't put hides on and walk around? <laughs> you think that's weird? You should see Rod. Like, <laughs> yeah. Wait until you meet this guy. <laughs> So yeah, I, I I grew up with a lot of guys that um, were characters, and they were they were uh, a lot of knowledge and a lot of kills under their belt and, with stick bows. And uh, I unfortunately did not learn as much as I should have from all those guys that didn't rub off like I should have. Talk about that a little bit, you know, with those guys and their bows and the, I mean their some of their tutelage was like you just shoot it like this right i mean you oh yeah it was complete force yeah 
Yeah, that's how those guys operated. It was just pull the thing back, put the arrow where you want it, you know. And uh, I, of course, I I was always shooting adult bows. My dad never made a, a light poundage bow and uh, great northern bows. I was always shooting their bows, and I was just shooting my dad's hand me downs. And between Jim Reynolds with um, his ram horns that he made, and then Great Northern, we were buddies with all of them. And I I that's what I grew up shooting was all their blemishes and their old bows that my dad shot that had bought and shot from them. And then my dad's stick bows that he built, um, which were just mules. And that's what I shot. So I just created <laughs> this habit of, I could only pull so much poundage at that age. So I would just pull it back as far as I could, which was always shorter than my draw length. Cause I was a tall lanky kid, you know? And, uh, you know, on my draw length, it'd be 73, 75, 80 pounds sometimes. And I can't draw that as a kid. That That's what my dad was drawing. He was drawing 75 plus pounds all the time. And that's what these guys were shooting. And it was just a different breed of guys. They just, you know, I, I created this super bad short draw habit and they would just, they had zero tolerance for it. It was like, just pull the thing back, you know, all the way, hold it. And then hit what you're looking at and that was the most the the most detailed uh advice you got on it out of any of them was um you know just pick us pick you know aim small miss small that was it that was the most detailed advice you got it from any of them was just aim small miss small if you don't hit it you're not looking hard enough you know that was always the <laughs> That I got. And didn't you say like a hundred pound bows, 90 pound bows weren't like that strange for you guys? No, that that's, that's pushing it. Yeah. My dad had 80 pound bows were kind of the max that anybody was shooting that era. But in that era, a lot of guys were shooting 70 plus pound bows. Um, he's just tougher generation of guys, you know, but I think that's some of it. And some of it was, um, they just never got to full draw. That was also some of it too. But, you know, a lot of guys, they'd tell you, yeah, I'm shooting 75 pounds and you'd watch them, sh- watch them shoot. And you're like, no, you're not. Cause they're, they're never actually getting to their draw length. You know, <laughs> I got a 30 inch draw length. Mm, you're not getting there, <laughs> you know? And you said somebody, that's what it was. Somebody made like a hundred pound bow or something. And it was like, if you can pull yeah. it back, you can win it. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, we were at the, one of the great lakes Longbow in, invitationals. My dad was the president for a couple years there of the, uh, long, Michigan Longbow Association is what it was. And they would have the Great Lakes Longbow Invitational every year. It was just a big expo um, for traditional archery. And there was a boyer there that had built, uh, excuse me, there was a boyer there that had built, uh, he was advertising it too. It was like on a stand and it was like, if you can pull this 100-pound longbow back, it was like 100 pounds is rated, most traditional bows are rated at 28 inches. So, you know, everybody would say it's 45 pounds at, a, at 28 inches. It's 50 pounds at 28 inches. That's just kind of the standard way they rate them, you know, so it's kind of a universal rating. Um, obviously, if you pull, if you draw longer than that, you're going to gain more weight than that with a traditional bow. But so this guy had it, you know, it was a hundred pound bow at 28 inches. If you can, if you can pull it back, it's yours. And, you know, all day it you'd see guys over there trying to pull it back, trying to pull it back, trying to pull it back. And there wasn't only but a few guys that did it. And I remember my dad went over there and he he was walking by and he looks at it and he picks it up and he pulls it back. 
without asking or making a show about it or nothing. He just picked it up, pulled it back, and then set it back on the rack. And the guy behind the booth kind of looked at him like, well, you did it. That's yours, you know. And my dad just turned around and looks at me like, what am I going to do with a 100-pound bow? <laughs> you know, <laughs> just put back on the rack and walked away. And you could see the guy that built the bow was like, shit, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and so you had said, and, and you know, when I would went out to – to Colorado there uh, where Frank's hunting now you had hunted that same area and showed me some some points and stuff so what was your first like experience going out west like how old were you and 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 how many times have you been out there um I went out twice when I was younger uh, we went to Colorado in the same same spot yeah we went to the same spot both times um did you end up did you guys end up going? Did you drop into that valley or not? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, oh, did you? There was, there was either an elk coming down, um, right there the one evening, and I, missed, I freaking missed a, like a grouse like five times right there. Mm-hmm. Um, just this arrow's probably laying in with a pile of mine up there. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, something something lit up out of there, and we hunted um on the other side of that valley back towards like the main trail um not towards the private but back into the public further um there was that pond that yep and uh that reservoir up there yeah that's where we had them uh those moose come in and uh had a spike elk come in and then one guy was out there hunting moose and he said there were um there were cows up above us and i think that that day when we first walked into that valley, when I missed those grouse, when something lit up out of there, it was either a bear or a, or an elk. It was a big brown flash. Yeah, a lot of bear. Uh, a lot of bear in there. There used to be. I don't know if there still is or not. There and then uh, um, we, like the next morning or whatever, which was the opener of muzzleloader season, which was all messed up, we heard deer, uh, we heard elk bugling over on the private and in, in, in between there. And we actually, um, the year after that, the guy I was hunting with killed the five by five right there on the other side um, of that between the private and then between that valley. But yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> well, cool. So they're in there still then. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. That, that place down there is pretty cool. Cause it's just like all super thick oak brush and you can't walk through half of it. And all oh, the dude, do they that, allow the, the dude that I was with because the, the the hunting that John and I did was like it doesn't matter like the elk are going to be over there so we're going there and this guy had hunted this place right. before and he's like well these this is where they are and all the stuff and I'm like you know I've never been here but I know that John and I looked at a map and we found elk eventually so I'm like why well, there got to be over here and there were elk there but we walked through all that oak brush and he was so pissed and it was miserable it was it was awful it was so awful but when there's that oak brush go ahead i want to say when we got out of the oak brush though it came into this big giant draw and it just smelled like elk i mean it was where they were bedding and then as we trickled down there there was uh two different wallows um and that's where he ended up killing one the next year and we had one right around the corner from us like we had heard uh a bugle and then something then we kind of moved around and there was like you know fresh piss right on the ground right there where we heard the bugling and the 
thrashing and all the stuff. And it was like, we just, we were just off or we just messed up, you know, but they were still there, but right. it was cause of all that. Br- oh man, it was so freaking miserable. Yeah. They, <laughs> they hold up in there and I, that's why they're then there. It's cause they just, there's so much cover and you watch them walk through that stuff and you're like, how are they getting through that stuff so easily? They just, when you watch them on the next draw over or something and they just work up the, up to the top of the ridge and then they're over the top of the ridge and you get over there in that same spot they were and the stuff's over your head or it's up to your chest and you're like, how are they getting through this? They just step through it. They go through it. It's, it's wild. And not only that, but there's that, that yellow leafed brush, which I don't know what it's called. We always called it yellow shit. Cause it was just miserable to walk through. Cause the, the stems of it and everything are just, they're just, they hang on to everything. Just shred your shirt coming out the other side, man. Was that stuff miserable? miserable so when you went out there like how old were you like hunting out west and going on these adventures with your dad and his buddies so i was 14 the first time i went to colorado elk hunting and uh i shot a mule deer that year with with my recurve um and we got we got beat up on the elk side of things pretty good we we had uh I think we just went too early. It was super hot and they weren't talking, but at night. And then when they would talk, I remember, uh, my dad and I would, we'd put the miles on pretty good. And we had one situation where we should have went, my dad wanted to go. And I was just dumb, young 14. And I'm like, dad, I can't go any farther. You know, I should have committed and went, I, that was a big learning lesson for me. Um, cause after I came home from that trip, uh, it, it dawned on me on like the drive home. I'm like, I, we could have killed an elk. That would have been a pivotal point in the hunt. Um, so yeah, great learning lesson for a young kid trying to hunt, just going out there and getting your ass kicked the whole time and, and really seeing, uh, kind of, um, a, a different side of, of hunting from the whitetail hunting that you're doing back home. It's like, okay, this is fun. You know, there's a lot more out there that I, I don't know about. And there's, there's so many ways to skin that hunting cat, you know, that it's just, that was, that was really cool. The second year I went out, I was 16 when we went to Colorado and, uh, we had one or two guys in camp kill bulls that year. And so we spent a couple of days helping them pack bulls out. And so that was, that was fun. We had a good time that time. I missed a cow elk at like nine yards, um, hit a branch, send it over its back and, uh, didn't even go look for the arrow. The arrow just sailed off the, we were on a pretty steep side of a ridge where we were at. And my arrow just sailed forever. I'm like, Oh, that's over with. <laughs> I was actually going up to help the guys. So that day, so that, 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 uh, that bowl that you guys were hunting in that basin's long. It's like what? Nine miles long or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, it's really long. Well, we were, we were uh, it might even be longer than that. It might be like 13 miles long or something. But we, we were camped pretty much in the middle towards the top. And we had parked down in the bottom instead of at the top that year, which was a mistake because we ended up walking in past uh, where we were going to camp. And we, we were closer to the top where we parked the year before than we were to the bottom where we parked this year. But either way, I forgot my beef jerk or I forgot my venison jerky that my mom made for me. And I had like a gallon Ziploc bag of it. It was like part of my meals, you know, that's what I was going to eat all day long while we were out hunting. And I, <laughs> so that morning I got up and I told my dad, 
excuse me. I told my dad, it was really early that morning. And I told my dad, I said, I'm going to go down to the truck and get my jerky. And he's like, you go all the way to your truck for the jerky. I'm like, yes. Okay. Kind of like, okay. Type of thing. <laughs> he goes, well, I'm going to go hunting. I said, okay, I'll meet you back here tonight. Okay. So I, it was like a five mile hike down to the truck and then turn around, come back up. And I, I hunted my way down and then I, I ran from a, a really bad lightning storm all the way back up and it was just brutal. It was 10 miles and it's that country's not a joke. You know, it's, it's fairly steep and that's pretty good elevation loss and gain down there and back up. Well, I get back up to camp back into, I'm getting close to camp and uh, our camp of course is way up off the main trail. So you got a bushwhack up, you know, and I get close to camp, my radio beeps. And I'm like, yeah. And my dad says, Hey, you know, Monty shot a bull, run up to camp. And back then you had those old steel frame. Everybody had old steel frame packs. So you didn't hunt with them. You had your frame packs and then you had like a little day pack that you carried with you during the day. And he said, Hey, run up to camp, grab everybody's packs and then come up the trail another mile or two. And I'm like, okay, I just walked 10 miles. I got to go camp, get everybody's packs. And camp was like a mile off, off the main trail. So I go up, I grab grab packs i go back up the trail and the directions i got were you're gonna cross this creek you know x creek and then you're gonna go about 200 yards and then you're gonna see a cow patty on a rock and you're gonna turn right and go straight up the hill and i'm like there are cow patties everywhere in that country there it's all free range country and it's all rocks <laughs> so i'm i'm I go a couple hundred yards past this river and it's just Cow patty on a rock, cow patty on a rock, cow patty on a rock. Cow pa- I don't, I can't see the cow patty on the rock. And so I finally radio my dad back and I'm like, Hey, where are you guys? He goes, well, listen for the bugle. So I just barely faintly hear his bugle and it is up through the thickest, nastiest shit. That's why I killed an elk up there. So I'm bushwhacking my way up to him and I've got, you know, two pack, two frame packs strapped to my frame packs trying to go through that oak brush <laughs> and it. I mean, <laughs> it's another three quarters of the mile up off the trail. I'm cussing out loud by myself the whole way, just like a bulldozer through that oak brush. I, you know, not trying to be quiet at all. And I actually had inadvertently called a bunch of, uh, a bunch of cows into me making all that racket going up through there. And, uh, I remember stopping sweating and I, I had said out loud to myself, this is a mistake. You know, because I was just beat up pretty bad. And I just shook my head. I was like, this is a mistake. There's got to be, you know, I was thinking in my head, there's got to be an easier way. The, the way I'm going, the straight A to B is not, <laughs> this is a mistake. And I no more said, this is a mistake. And I hear a stick break behind me. And she's she's nine yards from me and a big cow. And she's got a calf with her, yearling with her. And I'm like, okay. So I, she's looking right at me. I knock an arrow. She lets me shoot and I sail it right over her back. I hit a branch, sail it right over her back. And I mean, I know more than let that arrow go, watch the arrow go over her back. And I just turned around and just kept heading up. The, I didn't even like, <laughs> didn't even set in what had happened. I was just like, yep, yep. Okay. We're going to keep going. <laughs> you know, I'm like this day sucked. <laughs> so yeah. And then we packed meat for her the next day. And so, so like, when did time. you, did you go back out? west because that you know so we we met tom 
and Sarah, like we had just started the podcast. We are up at the total archery challenge. We did that stupid. Well, it was stupid for us. You guys probably really enjoyed it. It's probably the 6am hike. Yeah. Well, yeah. we drank until 4am. Oh, yeah. 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 We didn't do that. <laughs> yeah. Oh. And so we, we literally laid down for like 45 minutes and got up and then hiked up the hill. And John's like, is it time already? And I'm like, yeah, we got to go. So we went and, and did it. And then at the end, we ended up talking to you guys about going out west as we were going to. So that was 2018. Yeah. So we were going to, to Idaho and you guys were going, I think you're going to Montana. Um, we had just went once to Colorado. Okay. And then uh, and then that was the next summer we talked. So we'd had one trip under our belt. Okay. And it, was that the next time that you had gone back out west? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that was the next time. So I I I had done one moose trip with my dad after that Colorado hunt up in Ontario. Um and then it was pretty much just local stuff we were doing. Yeah, I don't think I we didn't have any other western trips after that. My dad went a few times. He went to Alaska a couple times and then he kind of really got big into antelope hunting in Wyoming, but at that point I started um you know, I started my career when I was 18 and I was working just every bit of overtime I could get my hands on for the next 20 years, you know? So a lot of that went to the wayside. And when, when I turned 18, my dad looked, he's like, I'm not paying for you anymore. You're not a youth anymore. You're paying for your own way. I said, okay. So that kind of, I got one more moose hunt in that was a couple grand for me and two weeks off of work, which was hard when you're trying to buy a house, and move out on your own, you know? That so that put pretty much all of my Western big expensive trips on hold until my wife got back into archery. Um, she she kind of got addicted to archery a little bit there when we were just shooting in the backyard, and then she had a couple seasons under her belt, whitetail seasons in Michigan, and uh, we were trying to plan what would it have been ten year anniversary or whatever. We were trying to we were trying to plan an anniversary trip, and she she said, I want to go out West hunting for, you know, cause I, I had always talked about how I wanted to go back out West hunting one day. And, you know, and it was like, <clears throat> she's kind of like that driving force. Um, she's always kind of been that driving force behind me. Like, what are you waiting for? You know, type thing. And it's always like, I don't know what I'm waiting for. Why, why am I waiting? Why aren't we going? You know? So she, she had made the comment of, I want to go out West antelope hunting for our anniversary and she's like i want to see the mountains i want to do this and she was describing what she wanted to do for the hunt and i i'd said uh well that's that's not an antelope hunt antelope <laughs> hunt are hot dry <laughs> you know sagebrush rattlesnakes wind you know i started explaining the antelope hunt to her and she goes yeah i don't want to do that what what can we do i'm like well we can go elk hunting she's like yeah, let's do that. And I said, okay. So that just started. And then we, we kind of committed to ourselves that we were going to go every year on our own public land just to get our feet wet. Like we had no interest in buying a, uh, nothing against it, but we had zero interest in going on a guided hunt. Um, it was, we wanted to go struggle and we wanted to like learn how to kill, find elk and kill one on our own. Like that was, that's been our mission ever since. So that was, and we, we made a commitment to go every single year. We were going to set the time and the money aside to just make a trip every single year. 
I, w- I want to sidebar that a second when he says, well, yeah, you know, I went on a moose hunt, a couple of moose hunts in between there. Like, so that seems in and of itself, like pretty impressive, right? Like, so, oh yeah, we were hunting moose, you know, and doing all the things. But then if you like walk it back just a hair, like you're doing that with like longbows and shit, like, you know, like, uh, so maybe is that why like nothing seems like that big of a deal to you? <laughs> like, cause it's just, that's how you've always done things. I think why it, it, it may come off that way is because when you shoot traditional, when you commit to a traditional gear, and you commit to hunting something, um, you know, when you commit to stacking the odds against you, not only are you working with traditional gear, but now you're hunting on public land on your own. You're not, none of these are guided hunts. Um, my dad instilled that from me. It was always about the road you take to get there. It was never about the end, the ending. And, uh, you get real used to not killing shit. Like <laughs> it's not going to happen very often. So, you kind of just, you know, you get real used to, yeah, I went on a moose hunt. It was fun. It was a good time. And no, I didn't kill nothing. You know, that's the story of my life, you know, watching. Yeah. And I had tons of opportunity. Like there was, there was not tons. There was one day I had that I was covered up in moose. About got run over by one. And uh, it just, you know how it is. I mean, you've been trying to stick a deer with one of them things this last couple of seasons. It's just hard to get drawn on one of those. You know, it's hard to get drawn on an animal. It's hard to, for all the pieces to fall in place. It just is. You don't really realize it until you commit to it um, and, you, and you try to do it. You know, that's I think that's probably one of the reasons why a lot of traditional bow hunters hunt hogs in Texas. It's because it's like the it's like the one variable they can control. Like we know the hogs are going to come to the feeder. I'm going to get practice because it's <laughs> hard to get practice. You know, it is just is. So on that, like from that, like sidebar, you know, you get into like the traditional hunting and then like, you, so throw in a guy like, like me who I, I love shooting it and it isn't for anything else, but like, just a challenge to see like if I can do it. Right. But I think that where, I guess, where do you feel, how do you feel like about there? A lot of these guys are like, all right, well I'm going trad now. Like, 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 cause there was a minute there where it was like the cool thing to do, you know? Yeah. It's always been the cool thing to do. <laughs> it really has. <laughs> it's fun. It's hard. It's a challenge. Most, most bow hunters, um, most guys that commit to bow hunting in general, um, they're, they're usually the type of guy that likes to, uh, challenge yourself in a way, or, you, you know, somewhere or another, there's, there's some guys out there that strictly bow hunt because it's bow season and they just want a, another season to get out there. And then there's, there's guys that just absolutely love the challenge. They love the tinker. They love the you know, the discipline of it, it's, it's all those things. And I think usually, um, those guys tend to find ways to make things harder for themselves, whether they know it or not. Um, and then sometimes, you know, that, that turns into a guy dipping his toe into the traditional world, but it's, it's it, what I would say to those guys, um, 
and this is coming from experience because I was raised around guys that you didn't pick up a compound. Like you were, you know, you were given up if you picked up a compound, <laughs> like you didn't do that. That was a no, no. And, uh, it took me until my adult years where I realized I was like, you know, I am, I'm not, I'm working all this overtime all the time. I don't have a ton of time on my hands. I, I don't have time to build arrows. I don't have time to fling, you know, cause to be proficient with a long bow, you got to shoot a lot of arrows. And I just didn't have that kind of daylight in my life. You know, it was dark to dark every day. I was never seeing my house in the daylight. And, uh, your form. And on top of that, I had bad habits so my form really went to crap and it, it was like such a hurdle to get over, to go buy a compound it, for ridiculous reasons. It was all ego. It was all in my head. Like, uh, you know, am I giving up something? You know, it was like, I shoot my compound all the time this year and I intend on killing stuff with it this year. I don't, I don't care what anybody thinks anymore. I'll shoot whatever I want and everybody else can piss off. They got an issue. With it. So that's what I would say to guys is if, if you want to dip your toes into the traditional archery world, buy something cheap because you're not going to figure it out right away. You're never going to get the bow that you actually want for life. Um, if you're going to start out, find something cheap, find something used, get cheap arrows because you're going to break them and lose them and just go have fun. Cause it's, you can shoot 50 arrows in your backyard with your compound and you're like, okay, I'm good. Dialed in, you know, it's like the same thing over and over you really got to stretch your yardage out to start to challenge yourself or do funny things to start to challenge yourself or hop in like a, like you got going on the, your Patreons there. They've got the one shot challenge. I think you guys are calling it where, and it's, it's like these little ways to challenge yourself, to make it more interesting, to make it more fun. And with traditional archery, you don't need none of that. You just need a target and a bow <laughs> and you're going to have a good time because you're never going to hit what you're looking at. Like it's, you know, it takes a lot of arrows, a lot of arrows to get proficient with it. So yeah. yeah. I'd say just do it and it, you don't have to commit to it. It's, you know, I, I got John can tell you like there's two traditional bows sitting on the pool table right now. I said, you want to shoot, shoot a couple arrows before he talked to Tom about like, traditional yeah. stuff. I'll, I'll probably put one through the block or into the block, not through it, but <laughs> Like, I mean, that's what I started. I mean, obviously, I was, I don't even remember, you know, five or six when I got my first bow, and it was like the little red fiberglass bear or whatever. You'll shoot your eye out. Yeah. And I almost did. Like, shot. I remember my dad's like, only shoot the bales because we had bales set up out back. And of course, my dad's gone, and I'm out in the backyard, and I had this rubber football. It wasn't even like, it didn't even have air in it. Like it was just this hard rubber football. I'm like, Phew! and I shot it and the arrow hit and came straight back and the knock went right in the top of my eyelid. And it, I had, it looked like a little freaking like bat bite, like in my, and my mom like opens the door and screams like, Oh my God. You know? <laughs> like dad, don't tell dad. But it's like Christmas story all over. Exactly. I was like, they got that for me. It was like, that was before, way before Christmas story. That is so like that, those memories you have of just being out there flinging arrows with no care in the world. That is still how it is. It it really is, isn't it, Adam? Oh, yeah. Well, you you were up at the Patreon hunt where, you oh. know, we, we're all like, oh, look at this thing. And I'm 
like it goes uh, Eric Redder, you know, he takes Frank's salmon and shoots one into the tree, like, or a stump, like 10 feet behind it. And he's yeah. like, Oh my God, that was so fun. Like, it doesn't matter that you didn't yeah. even come close no, to like why you're hitting, you know, like when I've, I've got a, um, what was the one you left left from with me for a while? That Martin Jaguar. Yeah. I got that thing for Christmas, 50 pound Martin Jaguar. Right. So it's a, I don't know what they call them. Like it's got a take down. Lip. Well, but it's a, it's a compound riser that they put like ILF limbs on or whatever that bow. Yeah. Cause that bow was a, a compound. It's like what they're doing with the leftover risers or whatever. Well, I got that bow for Christmas, 50 pound comp or uh, recurve. And I'm like, Oh yeah, it'll be, you know, 50 pounds. Like I shoot 70 pounds. Like, pull that sucker back I'm like jesus christ i i'm in the suburbs you know i'm i got this little tiny fence backyard you know the podcast i did last night with big shot targets i'm like yeah we used to just take you know cardboard boxes put some more cardboard in it's christmas time so i just put that out in the backyard i shoot it goes through the cardboard through the fence and it just stopped you know it was in the neighbor's yard and i'm like oh this isn't like what i was shooting when i was a kid you know but yeah. you think I stopped? Like, of course not. He's like, well, maybe I set it by my shed or something like that. Like, Put it in front of the woodpile. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's yeah. something, you know, you shoot into something, you know, you just pull it out. It doesn't bury in like a compound does. Like, it's not a big yeah. deal. Yeah. 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 Not usually. Yeah. <laughs> not unless you're shooting like 75. I, I'm, yeah. Uh, yeah. My dad used to, we used to go to shoots and my dad, um, he would hit. You know, there'd be the set, you know, it's just like total archery challenge or any of these other shoots. They always set the targets out behind the trees. And by the time you go through the course, the trees just shoot in half from arrows hitting it, you know, and there'd be tips stuck in or people's arrows stuck in that to just leave or whatever. And traditional shoots are notorious for these guys love putting shit in your way because <laughs> it's just fun, you know, and, and it's always like a chuckle. Ha ha ha. The guy's that are setting up the course are like, watch this, you know, guys are going to break arrows on this one. You know, it's always, it's just part of the fun. And my dad (laughs) would shoot some of those targets and there'd be like, you know, three inch, two and a half inch, you know, saplings in front. My dad would hit those things and just walk and just split those trees right in half and blow right through them, blow the fletching off his arrows. And uh, guys, (laughs) every time guys would be standing there and he'd hit one of those things. Wow. It was always like, Guys are like, geez, oh, Pete, what are you shooting? You know, <laughs> it's just <laughs> 700 grain arrows too, you know, so 100, you know, whatever it was, 180, 200 grain tips well, on his heads. I don't worry about them saplings. I shoot through them and the deer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. That cow elk he shot, he shot, he had a longbow that he made. It was, it was the heaviest one he made. It was like 82 or 80, just over 80 pounds at his draw length. And it was made out of ironwood. And he called it the mule. Like that was what he actually named. He would name his bows usually. And that one was named the mule because it just kicked like a mule. I don't know if you guys have shot self bows at all. Um, or if you've only ever shot like the laminated bows, but self bows are notorious for hand shock. Um, that you're just hanging on to a one piece of wood, a full grain piece of wood. And, uh, they're notorious for hand shock. Well, an 80 pound one made out of ironwood is, it kicks your hand like a mule. You know, when you let go of that bow, it's wham, you know, it's just a lot of shock. And that cow he shot out in Colorado, um, 
he blew th- right through that thing and threw like a three inch thick sapling with his broadhead passed completely through that. And his arrow was like 20 yards past the sapling, 40 yards past the elk. It was pretty wild. It was, I think he cut the sapling. Ah, I might be lying about that. I could have swore he cut that sapling and brought it home as a souvenir, but I, yeah, that may not be the case. I did that with, uh, not anything like that, but I was, I was hunting up at our property in the UP. I was up on this ridge. These does came through the bottom and I shot and I freaking shot and like center punched a, a sapling like that. And it went all the way down and like the leaves hit the deer and it came back <laughs> up there. And my arrow was 10 feet up in a tree because I was up on the ridge and it was down below and I cut it down with the arrow still in it, and I brought it back. And, to get your arrow back. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. but just to prove that that's what happened, you know, like, because, you know, yeah. you know. How Look what I shot. You go back, yeah. like, well, how'd it go? Why'd you miss? Or, you know, you know You're what happened. This. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, so this is what happened, like, for real. Um, yeah. But, well, yeah. So, so now you're, you're out in Montana, and you've got, you know, a teenage boy and a little girl and a, and a, family so how do you just uproot your family and say like yeah we're gonna move to the you you have this big palatial estate here in michigan and now you're like okay we're gonna move to montana and uh you know freeze our ass (laughs) yeah live in this little box yeah sell our nice beautiful home in michigan with a bunch of deer running around on it and buy a shoebox in montana for three times the price Yeah, you um number one, you just can't think about it. You gotta do it quick. If you're not real sure about it, just do it fast. So that's the first thing you gotta do. So uh dude, we've been my wife and I, ever since she made the decision to come out west um hunting with me that first time back in twenty seventeen, um, she just fell in love with the mountains. Um, and I kind of told her, I'm like, I told you this was gonna happen, you know. And every single year from then on, it was like it, every time we thought about, or we'd look at home prices out West somewhere and we would think about it, we would just put ourselves through the ringer. It was like torture talking about it. Cause it's like, it's never going to happen. How are we going to make this work? Blah, 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 blah. And we would just do that year after year after year. And it is, it's like torture when you want something that bad. Um, and you can't, you feel like you can't have it. Uh, it's, it really pisses you off. You know, you're, you're like, it just, it gets to a point where it's like, okay, we got to stop thinking about this or either, or make it happen. And, uh, my wife and I looked at each other. Oh, it would have been last spring. And we were getting ready to go out. We just got back from a New Mexico trip or Utah. One of the two, you know, it was Utah. We took a spring break trip out there in Utah and the kids are getting old enough. Now we're, we can start taking them on our backpack hunts with us and, uh, or our backpack trips with us. And they, we love backpacking and, uh, you know, it's just, that's, it's what we live for. It's, it's, it's what we want to do. And, um, so we just come back from that trip and, uh, we had kind of gotten a lead on some, some backpack llamas. We were starting to look into like pack stock to take out West with us and, we were looking at mule or um, mules and horses and just the upkeep on them and the, the cost of the feed and, and all that stuff was just, it was more than we wanted to um, 
put into for, you know, two trips a year that we were going to take from Michigan. And we got invited out to a, a llama rendezvous um, with Wilderness Ridge Trail llamas, Bo and Kirsten Beatty. They're awesome people. If you guys don't know who, who they are, go check their website out. He's He runs a big uh, pack llama outfit. So we went out there and uh, it was just kind of like the icing on the cake for us. It was like, what are we doing? This is, you know, it's, why aren't we out here? We We could have llamas. We could... We could be hiking and backpacking all year long instead of traveling and spending thousands of dollars to do it tw- two, three times a year. And so we made a decision that spring. We're like, we're going to go buy llamas. We're going to buy backpacking llamas and we're going to make this work. And uh, so we had set some goals um, to just get the house sold by that fall. And uh, we just did it. It was like, it was like an uphill battle the whole way. We had to, we had to scratch and claw the whole time. And it was hard. It's hard to make a big move like that, especially when you have kids, family, close friends. We've got all that stuff. Like there's no reason that we needed to move other than our dream to be by the mountains. That was, that was it. And, uh, yeah, it, it just, (laughs) you know, it it was a lot of work, a lot of work. And it's still been a lot of work, a lot of big changes. Um, you know, I started, uh, my own electrical company out here, getting that off the ground and uh we've started to uh schedule renting some llamas out for the season and we're trying to grow our llama herd um we're hoping to kind of be full swing by next summer um to be able to do actual guided trips with the llamas and that kind of stuff so at this point right now all we can offer is um, llama rentals so you can come to the house rent the llamas rent the gear take them hunting fishing camping whatever you want to do rent the trailer we can give you guys everything you need we just can't assist you with hunting and fishing information or uh take you ourselves but by next year we're hoping to we're, we're not going to do guided hunting and fishing trips but we should be able to do um guided hikes and camping trips and or set drop camps up for camping trips um and we should, hopefully we're we're a little more full swing into it but we're we're committed we're going to we're going to grow that as best we can. Um, we're going to use the llama business to, to kind of pay for our, our hobby of our lifestyle of, uh, our expensive lifestyle of, you know, chasing critters around. So we'll use that to fund our, our fun a little bit here. So it's been, it's been a process, you know, and I got kids that are, they're just a plus they're strong they roll with the punches and that stuff starts um, when they're young. Like we, we would just, they, our kids were never like, um, yeah, we'll be over after a kid's nap time or uh, you know, it was none of that. It was always roll with the punches. Our family's always been very fast paced. We got a lot going on and our kids learned quickly um, to just hang in there, you know, and, and there was going to be a lot of adventure. There was going to be a lot of work and there was always going to be a lot of, uh, lack of sleep sometimes, but you know, our kids just, they, they learned how to deal with it. And, and I think that's a trait that has served them well in this move for sure. Cause they're not super personable people. My wife and I aren't like, uh, extroverts, I guess you, you'd say, we're not like go out, meet people, do, you know, we're, we're pretty, we're actually pretty like loyal to our tight knit friends. We, we, 
when we meet people that we like, we, you know, they <clears throat> will chat, chat them up, but it's not, uh, we're not the type of people that like get out there super personable and our kids have got that trait too. So them going into a new school, middle of the school year, mind you, or beginning of the school year. So they, they started like they had a couple months under their belt in Michigan and my boy was not happy about it. He did not want to go. Um, but we had the conversation about how nobody told him life is supposed to be easy and that's how you end up being weak. And sometimes things are going to be hard. You got to get through it. This is only going to expand your, you know, it's only going to expand your knowledge, your, your expertise. It's only going to expand the way you survive, the way you get through things. And, uh, and he is, he's, he's a rock star. He's, it was hard for him at first. Cause he's, he's in eighth grade. That's tough age to shift schools, middle of school season like that. And luckily he's just kind of like a little, he's kind of just like a little alpha dog. He just doesn't, he doesn't give a crap what people think. And a little, he's a little brutal sometimes probably gets that from me, but he just, uh, yeah. So how are they doing now? I mean, they're doing good. Yeah. They're, yep, they're, doing good. Well. they're, they're back. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And we promised them we'd, we'd take trips back to Michigan from time to time to, to see friends. And, and I also promised my boy more video game time. Cause you know, online gaming now is how those kids keep and right. mm-hmm. they might only see each other during the school day and never hang out other than while they're playing call of duty or something. So we told him he could have a little more time on that. And that has kept him in touch with a lot of friends and I'm completely fine with that. Um, he's a, he's a good boy. He, he's starting to bulk up actually. He's, he's 14 years old and he's over six foot tall and (laughs) he's built like a string bean, but he's actually starting to bulk up a little. So he's got like all the weights. That's the other thing. Our house is so small. It's so much smaller. And you don't realize what that's going to do to your kids when they feel like they're, when you try to take all your stuff out of like 4,000 square feet and jam it into 1400 square feet with no storage. <laughs> yeah. Your kids, your kids are like, I'm suffocating. You know, it's like, everybody feels like they're suffocating. Yeah. My boy's got, he's got all the weights and the sandbags and everything in his backpack. He's got it loaded with sandbags and he's got it all piled up in the corner of his bedroom, scratching the wall and everything. And he, I can hear him in there clanking weights around. And I'm like, I, whatever I'll repaint the wall. I don't give a crap. <laughs> Yeah, J- so. the house John lives in right now is as big as this room. Yeah. <laughs> Him well, and his wife and two dogs. <laughs> well, yeah, we went from our uh, just over three thousand, you know, full basement and all that, and to a mm-hmm. one bedroom apartment. Luckily, it's just me, the wife, and two dogs. But two uh, eighty pound labs, holy shit! And then our yeah. our yellow lab, he had surgery. What last this right before Christmas? He had knee surgery. So then, holy shit, dealing with that. And we had to put a kennel, like, in our living room, kitchen, like, in the little tiny apartment. So now it is big-ass kennel because he had to be kenneled for freaking eight weeks. Yeah. You guys are building a house, though? Yeah, I'm building a new house. So. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the whole thing about it is you just you, – if you want – if you have a dream and you want to do it, you just got to make it work. I mean, we're not rich people by any means we're working class people and it took way more money to move out here than we thought it would. It just, it just nickels and dimes you just all the stuff, you know, register and plates, you know, when you got a fifth wheel 
a, a stock trailer and you got two vehicles and you got, I mean, all these things add up and you go to register them in a new state and it's like a couple thousand dollars. You're like, what just happened? You know, yeah. just, all those little things just, you know, I tell, they're like, how'd you do it? And I'm like, I've, I've talked to a couple guys since then. They're like, yeah, man, I've wanted to, I'm like, well, you can do it, but save now, start saving now. Cause right. that's the biggest hurdle is, is the money. Um, but you can do it. You just got to, you know, if it takes living in a shoebox, we love our little house. It's a new house. It's, you know, it's on top of a hill. We're right at the base of the mountains. We had a hundred plus head of elk try to knock our fence down a couple of weeks ago. I'm fine with the shoebox. Like I'm okay with the move, you know, and once, once the weather breaks here and we can get out and put some miles on the llamas and the kids and we can, we've got so many high mountain lakes around us that are great trout fishing. And we're just, we're going to camp our tails off. It's going to be, it's going to be fun. And our kids both absolutely love that stuff. So, so the, the whole time you're telling that whole thing about your son and you're saying like how you got him to like understand, like you guys were moving. And I was thinking about like the riser on my bow says relax and the riser or the limbs on Tom's bow probably says just exactly what you said to your kid. Like, it's not supposed to be easy. Nobody ever told you, like, it's going to suck. Things are going to be hard. Like, that, that's what's engraved on your longbow, right? <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't know whoever told you it's supposed to be easy lying to you because <laughs> life's not easy, man. That's not. I need, to, you know. I need to have my son get that tattooed on his arm. Little bastard. Yeah. <laughs> but, so... Uh, I guess it's almost like too, too early to say, right? I mean, you're obviously out there. You're super positive. Everything's like, you know, what you expected or, you know, maybe a little bit more expensive or, or, or whatever, but you didn't, and you picked like the terrible time to like move like in October. So like, you like went from like, oh, oh okay, like it, our weather here in Michigan's good, then to like super, then to cold, then to super cold, yeah. then to even colder, and then yeah, like, oh, it's negative not, three. It's not even brisk, you know. It's it was it was okay day. It was like October because yeah, that's listen. I flew out there to to Bozeman to on the second trip. I went out and moved my buddy Eddie back. I think when you were just getting ready to move the first. Mm-hmm. And then Eddie and I flew back because we had le- we had to leave one of his uh, Suburbans out there. And it was October. And I remember getting out there. And I was like, holy shit, we got there. There's snow and everything was froze. And then we hit a blizzard through North Dakota and it took us like six hours to get through North Dakota. And we're driving in, in like a 1986 Suburban. And, you know, power steering was shit. No cruise control. And fucking zero visibility. I'm like, holy shit. This place sucks, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. They it's it, and of course we picked a year that they got hit pretty early, and I mean the whole West. It, that's got, all the articles and the news sock. right now. You see about I mean, yeah, mo- a lot of the larger pockets out west here. We got we're getting hammered pretty hard. Um, yeah, <laughs> we haven't seen the ground since you know fully seen the ground since the first week of November. So. Well, that's where I was but, going with that. It's like, where is it? Is it everything that it's cracked up to be? And I know, like, I've been 
you know, we've been in touch. Like you're you're out there scouting for elk, looking at moose tracks. You got wolves in your front yard and all this stuff. But like, at what point was it, or or will it be like? Oh, this is what we came for. Yeah. Oh, this summer, I think we'll hit that. But it, it's already, so the cold is, <laughs> it's a hurdle to get over. It's, uh, my wife doesn't care for the cold a lot. She, she still jokes and continues to say, how did I let you talk me into moving out here? <laughs> when she was, you know, the driving factor behind it. But, she, you know, and I told the kids and her, it was like the first month we were out here, the first real cold snap we had, like first week in November. Um, she just kind of looked at me like it's already starting, you know, type thing. like this is too early. And uh, I looked at her and the kids and they were doing the typical, like, we're going to run into town. We just got tennis shoes and sweatpants on, or they did and hoodies. And then they run to the truck freezing and they're like, Oh, and then my, my, um, my house is, it's all, it's all fence. It's all pasture. Like my llamas can walk right up on my back porch and look at my window if they want. We don't have the, it was one just big horse pasture before we moved in. Um, so you have to open and close the gate every time you come into the driveway or the llamas get out. Uh, so, you know, it was like the, the first week we moved in, we created a saying that was shoddy got gate. That's, you know, shoddy got gate. <laughs> That's the saying. Whoever's in shock got the gate. And uh, the first cold snap we got, she's just looking at me like, I got to get out of this truck, open this gate every damn time. You know, she's kind of like, and I said, all right. And I just put the truck apart and I said, pause. The key to getting through this winter out here is going to be dressing appropriately. (laughs) There's no more just walking out of the house with a hoodie on thinking you're good enough. That ain't going to cut it. You know, it's, it's puffy jackets for everybody, boots, gloves, and hat. Like, it's just what you go outside in. And, you know, when they're all dressed up in that stuff, we're outside doing chores. We're doing this. We're doing that. We're having a good time laughing, having fun. But as soon as they're underdressed, they're the biggest crybabies. <laughs> all the time. And I'm like, dress appropriately, you know, <laughs> like it's easy. Just appropriately. Call Ron for so some it's, bucks. It's kids. been a shift. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's It's been a shift. It's been a learning experience with that. But even though I don't think we've hit like that Holy grail moment, like you're talking about, um, we're going to hit that this summer. I know we are. Cause just some of the places that Sarah and I saw this last September elk hunting. So we kind of got a, a glimpse into it already. Cause we, we came out here. That's, I mean, we bought this, we bought this house sight unseen and listen, nowhere in this whole situation am I claiming to do this wisely. <laughs> don't follow my direction. here. <laughs> But we just, it, you know, it, it was the only place that fit the criteria that we needed. We needed pasture. We needed to be able to throw the llamas in a fence as soon as we got out here. I could have spent the first couple of weeks putting some fence up, temporary fence up for the llamas. That wouldn't have been that big a deal. So that wasn't that huge of a deal. But we needed land to pasture the llamas. We needed a house that wasn't falling in. And we needed to be on, we wanted to be out close to the mountains, out of town, out in the country but not so far that we get snowed in and our neighbors multiple times this last year have already gotten snowed in. Like it's a thing that happens out here quite often. And uh, they'll call, they'll have to call a heavy equipment outfit to come in here with loaders and dozers sometimes to get them, to get them out. It just, it just happens. Um, 
but we really got we would like we found the place that was like right on that edge where we could flirt with it still be out in the sticks but not be just buried all year long and we got lucky and we knew it and we had to jump on it the house was on the market for like three days when we put an offer in on it and we didn't we didn't know what it looked like on the inside i trusted an inspector to come i'm like take pictures for me look at everything i'll pay you extra just give me the honest truth yep i'll do you good i said okay super good guy um our realtor super good guy he's an he's an old uh guy he was an elk hunting guide bear hunting guide right here in this area so he's got like he was telling us about everything he's like oh it's it's awesome down there he goes i don't live down there anymore i don't guide down there anymore but i can give you all the spots i can tell you all the places you know so he's he's been super helpful he was awesome he's like no you you get this is a good place you guys are good i'm not just doing the realtor thing you know so we had to put some faith in some people um he's an elk hunter he was a guide for a lot of years so i trusted him you know usually those guys aren't pieces of crap so that helped and um so we had we had planned actually this this year we were going to go into the bob marshall because we had llamas now and we we and were like we're going in we're going way in deep we don't care where we're going but we're getting away from everybody because we've just been you know sick of getting bombarded <laughs> with you know colorado over-the-counter hunts <laughs> you know i get sick of seeing people all the time so we're going in deep this year we got llamas to put around camp we got ourselves a bear fence so we were good because it's covered up in grizzlies up there and so we got all set up to do that. We found this place and like in the last week we had to shift and we're like, well, let's put in the contract that we have one, you know, contingency. We get one final walkthrough to bail out of this thing. So they accepted that offer. It was on the contingency of our one last walkthrough. Um, so we had to wait a couple weeks till elk season. We came out here and we just decided instead of driving three hours North to the Bob, we'll just, you know, we'll just hunt out the hunt out the back door here and just figure this area out. We're going to be living here. We might as well just figure this area out. So that's what we did. And, uh, we got a taste of it. Like it's, it's some pretty cool country. It's awesome. The weather was absolutely beautiful. Uh, we just got lucky the whole time we got into elk, not right away. It took us a, it took us a little longer than usual. Normally I can get us on elk. That's the other thing too, is like, thinking back about it since we started coming out west elk hunting we've never actually hunted in the same place twice which is the dumbest way to hunt elk <laughs> it's, it doesn't make any sense <laughs> you like learn an area for two weeks and then never go back to figure it out and to, to use that information you know well, let's so, try it even harder yeah the damn trap so people just, <laughs> <laughs> it was never that it was just our stupidity of like look look over here you know yeah so, yeah, so we, it took us a couple of days. I didn't do any scouting in this area. I just put it together at the last minute. And, and luckily from us cutting our teeth in places that are so hard to get into elk and having success getting, getting into elk, it just kind of, it really kind of, um, laid a good foundation for us to, to get into elk fairly quickly like out here without spending much time looking at the maps. And, uh, we had our opportunities. We did. Um, but yeah, so we got a taste of that. And then I know that we're going to get a taste of it when this summer, when it warms up and we're out doing some hiking and stuff and bear season, I am, I can't tell you how excited I am to, to, uh, spot and stock bear hunt this spring. 
It's, <laughs> even though I'm doing it with a rifle, I can't like I got my my this is how little rifle hunting I've done. All of my guns I own are like are are either shotguns, like multi-use shotguns that I can paddle the canoe around with and break ice with if I need to. Nothing fancy. Um they're all just beat to live in hell. And or a 30-30 lever, um just, you know, random guns that I never really I just I I never really deer hunted with them. I just bought them cuz they look cool. I got the AR cuz that's fun to shoot. You know, it's just and then all my carry pistols that I've always had. So I don't have like a high powered deer rifle. And the only one I got is my dad's 270 from way back in the day when he used to deer. I mean, this thing's ancient. You know, it's got an old Tasco uh scope on it and I am stoked i got that thing out sighted into 300 yards man i am over the moon stoked about <laughs> getting on a bear i, I really want to get my boy a bear we've we're gonna that starts up here pretty quick we're gonna probably wait a couple weeks so the the weather's not so volatile because it's <laughs> it's been pretty nasty and uh we're planning a trip and with the kids we're gonna go back in and camp with the llamas and relax cook breakfast do some fishing do some bear hunting in the afternoon and that's really what I kind of see bear season for me being kind of like a, a turkey season back in Michigan on steroids for us. It's like you don't take it serious. You just go have fun, call some birds in, you know, eat, get breakfast, get, you know, whatever. You just have fun with the kids. I can see that being I can see that being our uh, kind of first dip into it here coming up pretty quick. So since you moved out there, when when how long? Do you have to be living in the state before you can be the resident so you can get your elk license? Yep. It's 180 days from when you move out here. The day, so we'll be good by this April. We're actually good right now, but um, I can buy resident tags at this point. But they they want some proof there. I got to go down to the fishing um, uh, parks headquarters there and i got to get my residency changed because we're registered as non-residents so you have to do it in person or or maybe you can do it over the phone but i'm just gonna it's right here in town i'll go down there um so i'll get my residency changed i don't even want to tell you what the resident tags cost because it'll piss you guys off oh and also, no i don't feel like advertising it to everybody right, right. you know eddie <laughs> but, told uh, me about it and i'm like what are you yeah we're paying a thousand bucks <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah, they do a pretty good job at dinging down in residents right. in the state. Yeah, figure for the local. figure they give out. They have they set aside ten thousand tags, right, for uh, yeah. non-residents. So, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> so for for you, like where you're at right there, what's the grizzly situation? They're here. Yep they're they're here right behind the house. Um, they're not real thick right here. They kind of uh, oh, it's not their core area. But, uh, yeah, they are here. I mean, that's pretty much most western side of Montana. You right, right. Southwest, west. Yeah. Um, I mean, pretty much the whole western side. You get you get west of Bozeman, and you could, you could bump it. I mean, you get west of Yellowstone. Yellowstone, obviously, is covered up in them. But they've even got signs up there, um, up there now in the, uh, the little belts and the big belts. Um, They've got signs up for, but I don't think there's any really over there, but you never know. I mean, you just kind of, we, we saw tracks in here. Um, 
just, you know, about 10 miles south of the house where my wife were in here this last fall, we were pretty certain they were grizzly tracks. And, uh, our realtor that guided down in there, he goes, Oh yeah, they're in there. They're not super thick, but they're definitely in there. So they just, you know, they're over capacity right now. And they're, uh, they're such a big animal. Their range is huge. Oh. So it just, for you to just, you know, especially when hunting season comes around, all it takes is for one or two hunters to bump a grizz and he's going to cover country until he gets into another spot where he's not getting his butt handed to him by a bigger one. You know, he could just keep going, going, going until he finds another, you know, until he finds another, uh, basin to hole up in. So you never know. It just, you know, you can bump into them anywhere out here, but not a big deal. You just kind of keep, that's the nice thing about the llamas. That's actually, that's actually one of the reasons. So I was talking to Bo and he's like, I, we need to get your females bred. And I'm like, yeah, I want to breed scout. And he's like, well, let's breed all three of them. And I'm like, well, you're going to, you're going to pimp me for bear season. I'm only going to have my, my one male and I can't get all my, you know, I can't get the whole family's camp in there with my, with my one male, not the way we want to camp, you know? I said, you're, you're pimping me, you know? And he's like, well, so he, he's, he's going to, he actually, uh, dropped a stud off for me to use during, and he's not trained. So I'm going to work on, so I'm, I'm kind of trading and bartering them and I'm, I'm doing some electrical work for, for him. Um, so he, he's helping me out quite a bit by giving me a, a stud and letting me work with a stud and do some, uh, desensitize desensitization training with them and uh that way we'll have two males to go in this spring for bear season so i'm not just stuck with old pablo so and what does that have to do with the grizzly thing that's where you started your oh yeah they just uh you sleep better when them llamas around your tent at night they bark just all to it. they make they they alert you don't they, they? will yes some will and some won't most of them do um like my females don't really, they don't really alarm call. If they are alarm calling, it's, uh, there's something really close that they do not like at all. They're pretty tight lipped, but, um, Pablo, uh, he, he alarm calls at the neighbor's dog at 300 yards away. You know, he just, he doesn't like anything. But the thing about him is, is once you get used to him, it's like any, any animal, you know, you, when you, when you're, sitting in your living room and your dog picks his head up and looks out the window, you recognize that. Yep. Like he may not bark, but you're like, what's he looking at? Something's different, you know? And that's exactly how those llamas are. I can't tell you how many times just this last season, Sarah and I, it was our first season with llamas and we'd be hiking down the trail and a mule deer would be standing off the side of the trail and you would have never seen that mule deer, but all the llamas just, boom, you know, they see it from so their eyesight is absolutely incredible. And they just, they act different as soon as they see another animal and they turn and they look and they're not super flighty. They don't get, it's not, you don't usually have a bunch of rodeos. They're pretty chill, but, uh, they, they let you know when something's there. And when you got them around camp around your tent at night, um, they're not going to lay down and shut up if something comes into camp. I mean, we had coyotes or a wolf or something come in, um, come through camp close to camp. It was a couple hundred yards away across the meadow and they all stood up and rustled around and it wakes you up like that. I mean, it's a 400 pound animal standing up in a hurry, you know, 15 yards from your tent. So it's just a, it's a, it's definitely a bonus to have 
a couple big animals laying around your tent because you know darn well if a grizz comes fumbling into your camp at night it's going to be a rodeo out there and it's you know they're going to distract them it's going to be it's going to be a mess and you're going to hear it all and have time to get out and react to it yeah it won't be like the grizzly bear burrito (laughs) too late it's it's a comfort factor for sure when uh sarah and i were when we hunted wyoming we were in grizzly country that one year and it changes things when you when you're sleeping in grizzly country and you don't have any protection around your tent it it definitely uh yeah that so like you don't sleep as heavy as you normally do especially as an easterner and you're not in that country all the time now we've moved out here um you don't you don't get you shouldn't get relaxed about it like you're always still thinking about it but it's not as big of a deal as it used to be for me um but it's uh it's always on your mind so it is kind of nice to have that stuff <laughs> have those big animals around you yeah that second spot that i hunted um the last time i was out there with eddie um the first spot there was no grizzlies there was some black bear but then uh there and no elk i mean they all got pushed out of there so then we switched spots and it was definitely grizzly country and like you pull into the, the little campground and it was like the big picture of the bear standing up and it's like welcome to grizzly country and all the shit. And I was like, and I'm sleeping in this little one man tent. This looks like a bear burrito, you know? Right. Right. <laughs> my, my other buddy, Mark, he actually slept in his truck a couple nights and he's like, let's just go over and get one of them cabins down the road. <laughs> like, go ahead, dude. We'll be all right. And Eddie, of course he, you know, he's been out there for 30 years and he's like, yeah, we're, we're fine. But, yeah. yeah. Like, this takes one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Sarah and I in Wyoming, we'd, we would hike in every day. Um, you know, we'd, we'd come out and the one, the one drainage we were hunting had just over the top, there was a ton of grizzly sign in there. So, um, we, we decided to just sleep in the trailer as much as we could that night. We got like a little enclosed trailer. We turned into our hunting trailer and it had a little heater in there. It's, it's, and I built like a queen size bed. It's, it's about as nice as you can get with an <laughs> enclosed trailer. Um, and every night we slept in that man you sleep like a champ even though i mean it's a hard side of trailer so you just the heat's on you sleep like a champ but you're still walking we'd still walk three to four miles one way every morning down by the creek in the pitch black with barely a headlamp on in all the thick willows you know and you'd bust a moose out of there (laughs) and you know those things are just as dangerous as a grizzly stomp you got a calf with it or something but um yeah you bust a moose out of there and the hair on the back of your neck comes up and it's total panic mode for like you know a half a second till you realize what's going on and then you realize like there's there's no way i would have got my spray out in time right. <laughs> like the realization just sets in you're like i'm either gonna do this or i'm not you know right. it's it's gonna happen if it's gonna happen so you gotta just quit stressing about it and just you know right. just keep your head up so go but i don't know like the the hard part for me would be like being with your kids and all that out there in the grizzly country yeah. you know i mean in, in the llamas that that's a, a a you know another layer of protection or like you're you know you don't want the llamas to get eaten really but i mean if you had to choose i'll like, take that over my kid <laughs> right right <laughs> I can buy another llama. 
but probably buy another kid too. But you know, <laughs> it wouldn't, wouldn't quite be the yeah. same. <laughs> Worked pretty. I put a lot of effort into these ones. Right, <laughs> round at this point. Uh, yeah, it's just a thing. You know, you just you just plan for it best you can. You know, you, you there's things you can do to mitigate it. And if you see a lot of grizzly sign, you don't camp there. You know, you don't open a package of bacon in your tent. You know, you just, <laughs> there's things you just don't do. You just don't do stupid things. And you can really mitigate a lot of that by just, you know, just kind of doing all those little, little things. You, you realize how lazily you camped before when you didn't camp in grizzly country, when you camp in grizzly country, it's like, yeah, I can't just go to sleep. I got to go hang the food up. You know, I can't, I can't just not worry about that. I got to go do it. You know, I can't just rinse the dish off outside the tent. I got to go to the creek. You know, it's just, there's things you just got to do. Just got to do them. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta stay diligent with all that. You can't just be like, yeah, get lazy and be like, Oh, that'll be all right. Well, yeah. And you <laughs> just plan for it. it. It changes how you pack too. Cause you just, you know, before your, your bag would be full of snacks here and there and that and this. And now you just, you know, you keep it all in one spot so you can throw it in the tree quick. You you know, you just you just plan for it. So, Speaking of that, like when you were talking earlier about how she wanted to go out and, you know, go antelope hunting. And you're like, no, it's like, it's hot. There's rattlesnakes. That I don't know if you heard the story, but like when I went out to Montana there in 2020, I went the first like few days I was going to go antelope hunt. I drove out by myself and the first morning I got out there and I'm like, I found some antelope and I'm like looking at them through the binos and I see this herd and I'm like, well, shit, I got to go all the way down this drainage and I end up like crawling. And I like got down into where like there was a shadow and then I'm crawling down this, this old drainage. And it was like the only spot that was like some green grass and it was like 300 yards I'm crawling. End up, mm-hmm. I had a shot, whatever, freaking sunburnt, finally get back to the truck. And these other guys, I'm just sitting there in a lawn chair next to my truck because it was the only shade, just dying. And this truck pulls up and it ends up being a couple guys from Traverse City, Michigan. <laughs> and uh, they're, and I'm telling them like, yeah, there was a whole herd of them. I had a shot, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, well, do you mind if we hunt? Like, I'm like, I don't, I'm done. Like I'm, my dishes are done. And the guys are getting out and it was a, it was a dude and his dad and his dad's like talking to him. He's like, man, put my gators on. And then the kid asked me, he's like, well, did you see any rattlesnakes? I'm like, no. I'm like, what? Should I have worried about rattlesnakes? Rattlesnakes? <laughs> like, and he's like, "Well, yeah, but you don't have to worry about them up here. They're they they hang out down there in like the green grass where it's kind of moist." I'm like, "I just crawled 300 yards on my on my belly through that shit. Like, I could have just come up on a rattlesnake right in the face." And my phone was dead. Had I mean, everything was just like unprepared. So hey, that's just a a little warning for people. <laughs> ignorance is bliss sometimes right <laughs> like shit there's rattlesnakes out here <laughs> yeah that's all right they're down in the green shit oh that's right that's where, where i was, where I was. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh so for people who tell you that you're crazy and like 
you know, or how can you do this? And you're talking to those guys like, well, that's one of the things that you know, but I like to talk to people, talk to people who do stuff like not people who, you know, everybody wants to do something. Everybody has an idea for a product. Everybody has these dreams of like, oh, I can do this. But there's always that one thing that's like holding them back. Right. So like for you, when you encounter those people, what, you know, what is your, like, other than just saying, you know, just pull the bulb all the way back and put it on the target, shoot what you're aiming at, you know, like, what is your advice for those people? (laughs) Yeah. It's usually not just one thing holding you back. It's usually a pile of things that are holding you back. It really is. It's all these little, these, you know, the little knife cuts, um, keeping you back, but you have to make, so I've told guys that I, coworkers that I've worked with in the past, um, we've had a lot of conversation about stuff like this and, and they, they're, you know, and I, I was the type of guy that spent a lot of time on the fence for a lot of years, uh, doing things that I didn't want to do. Cause I, you know, providing for my family or whatever, a lot of, you know, it gets to a point where you have to decide to do it or not, because what, it will do to you is worse than not doing it. So you have to just make a decision. Am I going to do this or not? If you are, then you just prepare yourself for every step it takes to do it. And it's, it's everything that I've had to do. That's hard. It's always, it's always a step. It's always a step. It's always a step. And it's usually a, it's a relentless amount of them that you have to continually just, you got to stick with it. And every single day you got to work towards the next step. And, uh, you just, that's what you got to do. You got to decide if it's worth it or not, if you're going to do it. And if you are focus on the next step, get that done, focus on the next step, get that done and do all the steps until you're done. That's, that's all you can do. And and quite honestly, that is life. Like that is life in a nutshell. Like you're never like done with it until you're dead. You know, it's always just a series of steps to get to where you want to go. It's not, it's, you're never, you're never done. And that's, that's the thing that I've learned over the years. It's like whatever illusion people have of like, you're going to get to a point where it's easy or this is going to be easier. This is going to be easy. And yeah, you might get to a point when you're 65 years old and you're retired. Now it's easy, but why are you, waiting to live your life at the end of it. Like what, you know, just, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me, you know, and I've been that guy. I've been the guy on the fence for years. I've been the guy that's wished and dreamed and not done it. It's, it's, it's hard, but you just got to do it one step at a time. Eventually you will get there. But there are some like, you know, I'm, I'm when listening to your story, I would love to be out West too. But my goal is like to be down, have a place down south like florida mm-hmm. fishing i mean and it's like kind of like the same thing that you're like looking at we've looked at houses down there like the first year we went down there i went down there with my wife in 2018 we we're looking at houses like I'm like man this is like we it's possible it's doable but we got a lot of work to do and now this year we looked at them and like the same house that was like four hundred thousand there and a million dollars it's like, mm-hmm. holy shit. But, you know, that's like we sold our house. We're building a new house. We have, you know, the plan. We have a plan set in place. So 
but you gotta, I mean, there's like, I didn't hunt last year hardly. The only hunting I did was when we were up at the Patreon hunt, you know, and that sucks. I mean, obviously you only get so many hunting seasons, but for the ultimate goal, like, God, take that step, like build this house, get this done. And, you know, hopefully it works out. Yeah. can still walk. Sometimes you got to do that. Sometimes you got to do that. Sometimes you got to put things on a hold. I mean, that's why I don't, I'm not real fond of calling hunting a hobby. Like it's, it's a lifestyle. You know, it's not something that you can just, it's not something you give up easily. Like it's a, it's a part of us. It's where it's, it's ingrained in us. Um, We make massive decisions weighing against hunting time and hunting things. You know, it's like, so it's a lifestyle and in all these steps that you got to get over, you know, one of those steps might mean you don't get to hunt for three weeks this year. You only get to, you only, you only get to pick a handful of times, you know, it's, but it's that end goal. It's that plan that you have. And and you guys have that plan and you guys could still have a place in Florida with the current market. That place in Florida might not look like what you wanted to look five years ago. Exactly. You know, it just depends on what you want. If you still want it, you know, number one, who the hell are you trying to impress? If, you know, if you got a shack down there and a small little 14 foot, you know, boat to get you out on the flat so you can go cast for some redfish in the morning. I mean, like whatever, who's going to tell you that that's fulfilling. Right. And that's your shack. I'm like five, 10 years. I'll have I'll have a little single wide trailer as long as it don't get blown off. And if it does, I'll build a new one. <laughs> like, yeah. But I think I think a lot of I think a lot of guys get hung up in that um you know, their dream doesn't it, the possibility doesn't look like their dream. Exactly. And yeah, you just gotta be realistic, you know. You gotta quit pretending you're rich and just make it happen. Yep. <laughs> you know, you're well, not, well, I think there's, there's a bit of that, like, kind of like what you said with the, you know, when you get out there and then everything kind of like stacks up, like, well, there's this revelation of like, oh, it costs money to register all your vehicles and do all this stuff. And I think back, like, when we are like, oh, yeah, like, we're just getting drunk in the garage saying like, all right, we're going to do a podcast. And John's like, yeah, okay, I'm in. And I'm like, all right, I got this plan. It's It's in motion. And then it was like, all of a sudden, like holy shit, like, we're really doing this. And he's like, I, I remember, like, the f- the first few, John's like, oh, I hate the way my voice sounds. Like, I hate, this is so terrible. Like, everything, like, oh, my God, this is awful. And it's just. I'm still awful, but. Uh, <laughs> but you but, just, you just have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but you just have to do it. And, and if it's what you really want to do and it's what you really, like, enjoy, you're going to make it work. Yeah. Uh, but I think that 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 plan and i think that's where a lot of people who do you know stuff like this um don't have a plan and then it's okay when it doesn't work out uh but you know uprooting your family traveling you know thousands of miles across the country like you can't really i mean you could do that on a whim but like the the cost and like um the like collateral damage if you had to be like, all right, well, we're going back now. Um, you know, whatever you would go back to wouldn't be the same. So it's, it's a, it's a much different right thing. But who's to say that collateral damage didn't make you grow, didn't make you stronger. 
I think right. I, I think say that comfy life you had before was better for you than the struggle you just went through. So yeah. I mean <laughs> spoke, that's spoken like a trad guy. <laughs> well, it's like it's, <laughs> like you said originally, life isn't easy. Like yeah. no, no one said it was easy. Yeah. So if you want yeah. if you want something, you got to work. I mean, we're all. <laughs> I mean, we're all the same. I mean, we got, yeah, we live, we die. And if, if you want something, you got to work hard for it and get it. I mean, there, yeah, there's some people that are born with the freaking silver spoon in their mouth, whatever, but you know. Right. Yeah. But I mean, it, the things that you come up against that are hard is what carves you, you know, that's what shapes you. So I don't, I, I guess I'm just, I, I am more interested in growing, learning, failing, recovering, I'm more interested in that for the rest of my life than I am sitting here getting fat, you know, on the couch after I'm retired. I I just, I don't know. So there's something to be said for struggling sometimes. Sometimes you just got to struggle. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of like elk hunting out west. (laughs) Like what the? Like our first, like when, I mean, all of our listeners, I'm sure have heard this story many times, but like the first couple of days, Adam and I are walking down the old logging road out there and we're looking down in that shit like, who the hell would go down there? And then we look up the mountain and it's just, looks like, it looks like the moon, like just burnt, Mm -hmm. scorched earth, just nasty shit, dead trees. And like, who the hell would ever walk up there? And like, Two days later, that was us. We're crawling down that shit, crawling. I mean, there's one point where we're literally crawling up the hill through the shit tangles. And then it was like, and and in in the moment, it was like, man, this really sucks. Like, but then on the way back, like, man, when are we going back? You know, it's like. (laughs) Well, in in like, to your point, it was 100%. Like, when I got back home nothing seemed like impossible anymore. Like, you know, doing over a hundred miles and, you know, 10 days or whatever. Um, you get back home and you're looking at the map and you're like, I mean, I remember very vividly being in a spot on the place where we hunt that I had never been before. And I'm looking at it and the line on the, the screen is this long. Well, that long when I was in Idaho was like, two miles nothing no it was two miles and i was like and i was like how in the world am i two miles from the truck and like how do i get there and then like i actually did the line distance you know and it was like 700 yards and i was like oh my god like that's nothing you know (laughs) it's like just go there you know like we get up in the morning out there and walk five miles just to get to the starting point of where we'd hunt like yeah like and you do another five eight miles during the day and then then five (laughs) miles back in the dark yeah, you know, and, and but then then we get here and we're like, I think we were talking like at, right before one of the, the podcasts, and it was like, dude, whitetail hunting in Michigan, like, fuck, there's no place we can't go here. Like this, yeah. this is fucking baby that's shit. Yeah, and yeah, then that's when you get into the habit of going a little too far and a little too <laughs> aggressive, blowing everything out, and you're like, okay, yeah, <laughs> I can dial back into whitetail world, <laughs> right? carrying 60 pounds through the swamp you know there's so many there's so many times though like where you where you had said down there where you're like what did i get myself into when you're talking about those alders and all that stuff and 
I mean, I, I feel like that over when you were shooting at that, that elk, you're like, this is a bad idea. Like it's usually when I'm like, when my nuts, nuts like touch the water and I'm like, you know, miles from where I'm supposed to be. I'm like, this is a bad idea. Like I dropped my daughter off at a girl scout thing the other day and I was just going to go do some quick shed hunting and scouting. And I ended up in water, like up to my waist. And I was like, and I still had to go pick her up from these people's houses. And I was like, I'm going to show up like freaking buffoon you know yeah like the hell do you do like there's no i have there's no turning around like i'm already this wet like i might as well see what's over there um but it's just yeah who cares yeah we've cares with any luck with any luck when you show up to when you show up to their house like that they they usually leave you alone don't chat you up so yeah. it's, it's like win win yeah like this guy's gotta go <laughs> like, okay, see you later kid bye <laughs> I don't know what that guy's been into. <laughs> Perfect. But uh, so you've got a lot of other things uh, coming up on the horizon as we talk about like you know uh, changes, new ventures, and, and, and stepping out. Like what where uh, what uh, things are on the horizon for you here coming up, other than the the llama trips and the and the business stuff. Yeah. So well, spring bear season's right around the corner. Super excited about that. Um, but we are, we just bought another female. Um, she's pregnant. She should be giving birth any day. So we're going to have a, we're going to have a Kriya in a, co- a couple months. Um, we'll go pick her up and we're going to have a Kriya running around the place for the first time. So that's going to be really cool. We're kind of excited about that. The kids are, hopefully that puts a pause on all the other animals they're buying for. <laughs> Maybe the Creole will fix that because my daughter now, she's raising rabbits. She's breeding rabbits, and she's she's going to do it for either meat, rabbits, or uh, she's going to sell them. Um, you know, my wife's got a million and a half chickens already, and uh, <laughs> it's just it's getting out of control. But anyways, so, yeah, we're going to have a Korea running around. We're excited about that, and then she's going to be bred again, so she will give birth again next spring. And then uh, all three of our girls are down being bred currently right now. So, or will be here in the next week or two. So we could potentially have four Kriyas running around next spring. So we're stoked about that. We got a lot of fence to build because the way we got it now, it's just kind of like 20 acres of open pasture. And they just, I got to use my black lab to help wrangle them and, hurt them into the catch pen excuse me the catch pen to get them caught every time we got to use them i've got a bit of bit more of a better system now is where i can catch them i just go in there and when they're all in the barn now sleeping because it's cold out they go in the barn now i got it set up where i can just sneak out there real quick and close them in before they know what's going on they kind of look at me like you son of a bitch (laughs) (laughs) but so yeah we got that going on um and uh i'm starting my you know, I started up my own electrical contracting business here. So I'm excited about that. That's starting to get pretty busy. So I'm excited about that. I'm starting a podcast Just started that today. So the silver bow podcast, excited about that. That'll be kind of in conjunction with, um, the llama business and, uh, what, just what our family's doing. So it's not going to be like full on llama stuff all the time. And it's not going to be full on, uh, just hunting stuff all the time. It's just going to revolve around um, our family getting outdoors, our, you know, hiking plans and, and uh, we'll talk hunting stuff. I'll 
you know, like I am with you guys right now. And we'll talk llama stuff with some people and my wife and I'll probably do some quick updates on there. Um, and then we started a YouTube channel. So, um, we'll probably start posting some videos on there too. So we got a lot of stuff going on. We're excited. We're growing. It's, uh, Taylor house is always busy. That's how we like it. So where can people follow along with you if they want to check out this, uh, this stuff? So this, um, silver bow llamas on Instagram is our llama page. It's silver underscore lot silver underscore bow underscore llamas on Instagram. Um, I'll probably start posting podcast stuff on there. Um, and then our YouTube channel is at the silver bow experience. Um, I don't know if I'm going to keep that name like that yet, but like I say, we're it, this is all just coming out here the last week and we have zero clue what we're doing. So it's a bit of a mess right now, but if you go to silver bow llamas on Instagram, that's kind of where you can see um, the majority of the stuff. So sweet. Yep. And then the silver bow, the silver bow podcast that's on Spotify and Google and Stitcher right now. I'm having a hard time getting my Apple ID to confirm. So it hasn't uploaded to iTunes yet, but yeah, it takes so. uh, like four or five days. So does it really? Yeah. Oh, for it to upload for you to get like, okayed by Apple, like Apple oh, has to like that vet you. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. cool. Yeah. You, you got one job, man. No, I know. I was getting, <laughs> you know, all right. So the one question I always ask, what bow or what's your bow set up and what, what bow are you shooting right now? Besides, I mean, you can do both like your long bow or your, re, your trad bow or, and your uh, compound. Yep. Same as it was last time. <laughs> Nothing's changed. I did buy a new longbow from uh, Kalamazoo Bow Works, uh, David Darling in Michigan. He makes a, a great longbow. Um, I have not had time with the move to switch everything over. So, and I haven't put many arrows to it at all. Good shooting bow, really good shooting bow, but I'm probably going to stick this season, unless I get a hair up my butt and get some time on my hands, I'll probably just stick with my um, my Black Widow longbow. It's a PS PSL. I think it's the model PSLX. It's one of their exotic ones um, with tiger myrtle wood. Absolutely beautiful bow. It's got a little bit more of a center cut shot uh, shelf to it than my Kalamazoo bow work bow. So that's some of the change I got to get. I got to get my, I got to put a lot more arrows through that Kalamazoo bow work bow before I get used to that uh, change in my, now are those, my center shot. Are those long bows or recurves? Both. Both longbows. Both longbows. Yep. Yep. So I'll be sticking, I'll probably be sticking with the Black Widow longbow this year. That's uh, 54 pounds at my draw length. And I will be shooting, I just changed my arrows up to some Nexus shafts. Um, Yeah, Nexus brands. I think that's what they are. I changed those up about mid-season last year. I really like those. They're a little lighter than the day six I was shooting before. They're still a skinny shaft. I like, I like a skinnier shaft. Um, and, uh, they're a little lighter, so I don't have to, I can keep my point weight up and I don't have to worry about my, my gap being so atrocious. Cause with a heavier arrow, once you get out, you know, 30, 40 yards, your, your gap grows so bad. So I lightened it up a little bit. So my gap isn't so bad. 
at that 30, 35 yard mark. And I'm still shooting that really good at 35 yards, even though I haven't shot that black widow shoots so good. And I've put thousands, tens of thousands of arrows through it in the last couple of years. So I just, I've got it nailed down. It's still shooting really good for me at 30, 35 yards. So, um, I'm, I haven't stretched out past that since last season. So I don't know how I'm shooting past that, but it's still shooting pretty good. And then I still got the same Hoyt double XL. Um, I'll probably get that out, tune that back up this year a little bit. Um, do a little hunting with that this year. I haven't shot the compound in the last couple of years. And so I'm excited to get that back out, shoot that too. And, uh, I'll be shooting the day six, those old day six shafts I have out of that. Now, those, so those when you uh, bear hunt, you said you're going to go with a rifle. Is it only a rifle season out there? No, I mean, you can use archery equipment okay. for sure. Yeah. Yep. And they do have like a fall archery only season and some of the units it's, it varies by the unit, I believe, but, um, yeah. Yeah. Tom, so John's not mar- active on the, uh, Marco Polo, but Tom's working on putting together, a, a bow hunter Chronicles West, uh, spring bear for next year and he's like i don't recommend doing it with the bow you can do it but you, you know, can you bring can. it <laughs> you can bring it <laughs> and tags are cheap if you want to you want to burn a tag i just the reason i said that is because i am not a bear expert by any means and uh i just want guys to get out there and have fun and have a chance and i just want it to be realistic you know like you can bring your bow better not ask me for any help because <laughs> 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 this will be my first year spot in stock bear and I'm taking the rifle. I mean, if I get I'll, to a, I kill a bear with a rifle. I got my dad's old Seiko seven millimeter mag. That thing is like attack driver. Yeah, those seven millimeters are. Yeah, they're pretty flat shooting guns. I got just the two seventy old two seventy Winchester. So it'll do the job. And I'll, I'll have to get within three hundred yards of it. And well, some of these guys out here are shooting like six hundred plus. So. Well, I already kind of feel like I'm on a bow hunt versus their <laughs> rifle. <right. laughs> this old Michigan deer rifle, you know? So, like, John's dad, like, back in the day was, like, a lot of things. But, like, he got into, like, those guys that were, like, the best in the West. And so he took mm-hmm. this gun and rechambered it and did all this stuff. And I think it's a two forty three. Yeah, that was my original. Uh, it, was, it started out with three oh eight. And then he took the barrel off, took it, I mean, completely rebuilt it, built a, him and my son, built, he bought like a laminated stock. It was just, just a blank. And then he milled it all down and it's freaking, so you know, it's like it's red, red and blue, blue and, gray. and yellow. And <laughs> it's, it's got like, I know he's saying hole. how many times he rubbed it with this oil and yeah. it was like all glittery and stuff. The, the gun weighs like. Oh, 30 pounds. I don't know. It's ridiculous. But, well, like, you could bring that out there and you could shoot it probably from Tom's house across the canyon. Oh. To- <laughs> yeah, the scope yeah. on that sucker, like, you could zoom into the moon with that sucker. I'm like, what the hell? I'll shoot a thousand yards. <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. So, like, when I was, like, first dating my wife, you know, I'd go over there and watch hunting videos with Frank and stuff like that. And then, then that's when his dad was getting into the, the best of the West. So then now these guys like, you know, it's got the picture in picture and it's over there 700 yards and they're just dropping stuff, you know, thousand yards, 1100 yards. They're shooting all this stuff. And I'm building a rifle like that. Wasn't it in like a magazine or something? I remember seeing it 
and on like a picture or something. But but anyways, but yeah, yeah, I got that one too. That one's sitting in. I mean, they haven't been shot now. Like I don't even know the last time the seven mag's been shot. I mean, I haven't hunted with it since I was eighteen. So, <laughs> but yeah, but. my wife made the comment after we spent last season out here and uh it was it was quite the circus moving in right in the middle of season we we missed out on the rest of archery season and then after we got here moved in um we busted our tail because we knew rifle season was starting and we wanted to be able to do that without just being overburdened by unpacking and everything else so we were able to get out rifle hunting a couple times and and my wife looked at me and she goes it, she she could you could just tell like some of the country we're hunting and it's just you know you're like if an elk walks across there you're it's in range you know where when you're bow hunting you're not even close yet you know and uh she goes we're gonna turn into rifle hunters aren't we and i'm like i am not scared to turn into what weapon i use i'm an equal opportunity weapon user i don't give a crap <laughs> whatever puts me in the field oh you know? well awesome Tom I really appreciate you coming on here and uh, we'll have to we'll have to do this again and if you ever need anybody on your podcast that uh, doesn't know how to kill things with the bow and can't shoot a longbow and doesn't have any llamas you know we, we got some guys <laughs> right back at you <laughs> so, yeah I appreciate you guys yeah not a problem thank you sir alright thank you